And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show, of course. It is a hot day edition. Yes, we're halfway through the week. Congratulations. Driving to work this morning. You know, traffic is just getting, you know, in Houston. It's just it's just back to normal. It's I mean, insane. yeah, I mean, everybody's, you know, here in Texas, you know, we lifted the mask mandate and everybody just like, woo, let's go back to work. <laughs> so, and they all forgot how to drive. Amazing. Well, you know, it's, it's been a year of not driving. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, got to get right back in the habit of not knowing how to drive. They didn't know how to drive before, by the way. If right. you, <laughs> you know, in Austin, they don't know how to drive either. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it doesn't matter what city you're listening to the show in right now. They don't know how to drive. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, clearly the economy is is opened back up now and things are going. And, and of course, this is leading to a lot of, you know, uh, increases in pricing pressure. We're seeing uh, input prices rise. We're seeing export prices rise. Of course, commodity prices rising, lumber costs, labor costs, all these things going up. And that's just part of that reopening process. I mean, we're putting people back to work. Demand is returning uh, in the short term, and that's all good news. Now, the question becomes, though, sustainability, right? Um, you know, my wife and I went out last night, and uh, basically I had to go. We're opening our office back up, so I had to go buy a couple of new suits last night. So we went out to do a little suit shopping, went to dinner, completely packed, um, you know, at, at the shopping center we were at. I mean, people out everywhere having dinner. You know, enjoying, enjoying the outdoors. It's been great weather here in Houston as of late, and uh, actually it's been really good weather most around the country. So, you know, people are all outside doing things. CDC made an announcement yesterday. says, hey, if you're fully vaccinated, you can start going back outside again. That's good news. Without, <laughs> Without a mask. mask. <laughs> exactly. Was anybody wearing a mask? I mean, if you're going for a bike ride, was anybody wearing a mask riding a bike? I mean, <laughs> I don't know how to break it to them. But. I, I didn't see any of that. So maybe so. Maybe there was a few. But um, yeah, but yeah, if you're fully vaccinated, hey, get back out in the world. Do your things. Right. This is the important thing. Um, but here's the here's the important thing to understand. So the Biden administration tonight is, is going to be talking about uh, at nine o'clock, I believe, Eastern time. They'll be doing his uh, presidential address. And uh, it's the address to Congress. And this is an interesting thing because, right, there's only going to be 200 members of Congress there. They're still doing the socially distancing thing, um, which means you don't need a designated survivor. If you, didn't know, if, if you didn't know this, whenever there's a full meeting of Congress with the president, right? So Senate, Congress, you know, Senate, House, and president, everybody's there. There is one person of the cabinet that's designated as a designated survivor. And he's the guy that sits at home and watches it on television in case there's a capital attack. And in fact, uh, Kiefer Sutherland did a whole series on, uh, I think it was on Fox, I believe, uh, called Designated Survivor. But it's an interesting premise. So, but because there's you know, only half of the Congress and Senate are gonna be there, you don't need a designated survivor because most people will be home you know, watching it on, on television, right? So don't need it. But just in case, if you didn't know this, is that in this event, if somebody does happen to wipe out all of Congress and Senate, Janet Yellen will be the next president. <laughs> she's she's in the line of succession <laughs> so, why is that not comforting i know right it doesn't just, just doesn't really you know There's nothing warm and fuzzy about nothing that warm and fuzzy and now we'll have you know <laughs> the keebler elf mother right? 
will be be the president of the United States. I don't know why. Every time I see her, I just I just expect her to like whip out a plate of chocolate chip cookies. I don't know why she reminds me of that. I think of the woman who keeps Tweety Bird and Sylvester. Could be that as well. Yeah, that's could be that as that's well. That's the icon. All right, a couple quick things here though uh, before we get to the break. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. We're going to talk a lot more about this, but the the point of the speech tonight is that a poll was out yesterday, Monmouth poll, that came out and said, um, you know, do you favor all of the handouts and benefits and stimmies that have been coming out of out of government? Right? Uh, have, are you in favor of more stimulus and more support? Sixty nine percent of people said yes. We're in favor of more support from the government well of course i would be in favor of it too if i was getting checks but i'm not in favor of more stimulus because i don't get a check (laughs) so you know if you're getting checks yeah you're more in favor of getting it so yeah not surprising that 69 percent of people approve of free money from government imagine that it's totally shocking i can't even fathom how this poll was done but the point here is this, is that tonight he's going to talk about doing more stimulus, right? We're going to increase tax credits. We're going to try to make things permanent. And I want you to understand is that our government does not understand the basic law of economics. So we're going to go through it here real quick for you. And this is simply just a very basic chart of supply and demand. If you have rising demand and you have a set level of supply, your price is going to increase accordingly to an equilibrium point to where price and supply meet. If you increase the demand by giving people more money, Right. So here we're going to say, okay, now we're going to move demand up to here because now more people have money for child care and all this. It sounds fantastic. Well, the next thing that's going to happen is that price is going to move up to to meet this new this new equation of demand versus supply. So if supply doesn't increase markedly right at that same exact moment, then, of course, price is going to have to rise to meet this new level of demand. So, you know, the, the issue here is simply this is that you know you can increase the amount of money that you put in but price is going to move up very quickly so that it absorbs whatever benefit that is so it's yes we're going to give people more money for child care as an example more child tax credit so they can go pay for child care that's fantastic that's awesome all the charcoal people will simply just move their prices up say great great you know you've got more money to spend we're going to increase our prices and you say okay well that's fine because more people will now come into the entry of the market and that's the whole point here is that supply will increase to meet this new level but when supply increases to meet this new level the price doesn't change So it's still more expensive, even though now you have more supply. So it's just a function of where supply and demand meet and where price equilibrium becomes in, but that always increases the price. That's called inflation, (laughs) by the way. And so yes, we can give people more money this year to pay for childcare and to lift people out of poverty, and it sounds fantastic. We go further into debt to do this, But next year, the prices will have all increased to the point to where that money has now been absorbed. So people are no better off next year than they are now because now the cost of everything has gone up. And so even though if we increase this, now we just go further into debt every year which has a clear impact on economic growth no matter how you cut the no matter how you slice this right more debt and go and we can go back through history and do this and I've I've got articles coming out this on Friday uh, looking specifically at this as you increase debt you lower your rate of economic growth because you have to service the debt and in the process of this if interest rates rise it's game over 
But the point is, is that, you know, doing more debt, you know, more stimulus payments, it sounds great, right? I mean, we're going to help everybody. We're going to give everybody some money. It's going to be awesome. And next year, though, the cost of everything will have come up to the point to where your standard of living has not changed. So you immediately, if you're in poverty, yeah, you're out of poverty for a year, but next year you're back in poverty again because the cost of everything has now gone up to absorb whatever dollar increase you got in money. And that's the, that's the function, that's the basic function of inflation. And you know, if you take a look at any measure of inflation right now, there's clearly inflationary pressures coming into the markets. That's gonna have a major impact. But we're gonna talk some more about, about this, this whole idea of this, you know, more tax credits, more benefits, another $2 trillion of spending. And of course, the impact of this, of course, also is that, well, now they want to raise taxes too. What was the last time that we raised taxes by almost 1.8% of GDP? That was 1968. And I'll tell you what happened after that in the financial markets when we come back. I'm, Lance, I'm your host, Lance Roberts, for The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Didn't get enough last Lunch and Learn? We're serving up a second helping at our next free virtual Lunch and Learn with Medicare on the menu. Thursday, May 6th at noon, we'll sink our teeth into the alphabet soup of Medicare, parts A, B, and D. Understanding sign-up periods, benefits, and how to avoid costly permanent late enrollment penalties. It's a second helping edition of our Lunch and Learn on Medicare, Thursday, May 6th. Register now at Real Investment advice.com no masks required you're listening to the real investment show and welcome to the show this morning uh real quick here before we get to uh danny ratliff uh certified financial planner we got a lot of stuff to get into this morning i did want to get you a market update um, about where we are, because again, just kind of monitoring our money flow signals here. You know, the question is always: Is it time to, you know, time to a- increase exposure to portfolios? And, and the answer is that, you know, the market, as we had stated here previously, is that the most. You know, when we got the sell signal, we said with money flows positive and weekly, with the weekly buy signal in place, the most likely outcome of the market during the sell signal was going to be a real consolidation, just basically the market going nowhere. Um, that's continued to really be the case, even yesterday. The market just was flat all day yesterday. Markets are going to look to be a little bit flattish again today. Not a whole lot going on. You've got some, you know, and, and this is the interesting, right? We're in the midst of earnings season. Uh, Microsoft announced, you know, huge revenue yesterday. Stock's going to be down today. Google reported huge revenue. They're going to be up today. But because those are basically about the same weight, so to speak, in the S&P, they're going to kind of counterbalance each other in, in, the, in the S&P index today and, and really not provide a lot of lift. So, Market's really just kind of struggling here a little bit. We've got the Fed meeting today and tomorrow. Uh, sorry, uh, yesterday and today, they will have their Fed meeting announcement today. So tomorrow, when Michael Leibowitz joins me, we'll get through all the Fed announcement. There's becoming more disagreement amongst the Fed right now about monetary policy because of rising inflationary pressures, economic growth rebound, etc. Um, we may start hearing talk about tapering 
which of course would apply more downward pressure to asset prices as well. So again, there's a lot of potential angst here over the next couple of days with the markets. But again, as we've been talking about, this money flow signal is flattening out now and we're getting ready to make a turn. Uh, I think there's a real possibility that we could see this uh, money flow signal turn maybe by Thursday or Friday, if not Monday or Tuesday at the latest. So again, you know, likely the market's not gonna do much here. We'll get this signal and uh, that'll be your, be your kind of your best opportunity. If you wanna start increasing exposure to equity, you could probably actually do that starting today uh, with a little bit more safety. Again, this isn't a great entry point because the markets really didn't correct, but again, doesn't really matter. We're still in the seasonally strong period of, of the year for about another 30 days. And, and that's important because that's about how long this buy signal will last. It'll last about two to three weeks. And then that's probably going to align with our weekly sell signal, which is getting close to a peak here. So once these two align back, right, we get this daily buy signal, it lifts markets for here for a couple of weeks, and then it aligns with a weekly sell signal. That's probably gonna be later May, early June. That's where our best potential is for a correction in the markets. And this is important because the NASDAQ specifically, which is where all the growth stocks are, it's had six straight months of advances. That's one of the longest stretches in three three years for the NASDAQ. So, and again, when you talk about six months of an advance, typically you're set up for at least a consolidation or a correction in the market. So again, sometime this summer, as economic growth peaks, earnings peak, inflationary pressures really start to show up in the system um, and potentially the, the, the issue of higher taxes. Um, that could all lead to a bit of a correction in, in the market. So again, um, I think you kind of got an okay entry point here to add some exposure to portfolios for the next two to three weeks. But then after that, when we'll be a little bit more cautious this summer, I think this is one of those years where selling May might actually uh, work out in, in your advantage. Doesn't mean you have a huge crash, but just means markets don't do a whole lot. So, all right, um, Danny. We were talking a little bit about uh, Biden and his tax cuts and tonight's uh, speech. What are you expecting him to talk about in terms of, you know, the tax credits and what does that mean potentially for individuals? Well, I think it's going to all mean higher taxes. Hey, but for those of you out there right now driving along wondering what Lance is actually talking about, go to our YouTube channel, go to realinvestmentadvice.com. You can actually see the charts he's referring to. So Biden has a speech tonight. I think everybody's waiting, but we all know what he's going to say. Uh, we're going to tax the rich. We're going to give money away, right? And that's going to be the big, the big plan here. So a lot of this is going to go to child care services. We're talking about um, college for all, two years of community college for free. Um, these are the big pieces of this. And this is going to be that um, the universal preschool, all these things that we've talked about over the coming weeks. It looks like they're, I'm not going to say coming to fruition because, you know, nothing's been done as of yet. But there's going to be that push towards this. So we've seen these bigger plans, the infrastructure plan, which is what semi-infrastructure, not really. Uh, Less than 7% is infrastructure. Yeah. Can you even call it an infrastructure <laughs> plan at that point? You can call it anything you want. Yeah, you can call it a pink elephant. Clearly Does it mean? Do yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and again, you have to really define infrastructure, right? They've come up with this whole new thing now called human infrastructure. This doesn't exist, by the way. Um, so, so, so now we've got human infrastructure. Just so, like shovel-ready jobs? Uh, no, it's even worse than that. It's, it's just saying that we're going to help train people to go to work in the economy. But again, if you're providing incentives, there was a, yesterday was the um, manufacturing report came out. Mm -hmm. And if you read the actual comments from manufacturers, right? So at the end of these manufacturing surveys that, that come out every month, 
there are comments from the regional manufacturers at the bottom of it. And, and that's where really all the information is. The majority of the comments on that, on that manufacturing survey is we have jobs. We can't get people to come take them because they get more. We're paying $14 an hour, $15 an hour, $16 an hour for these jobs. And nobody will take them because they get more by staying at home and collecting an extra $400 a week. So this is this is the problem. You know, there's this offset of, hey, and this is what I'm talking about with the poll, right? You know, who's in favor of more money from government? Well, if you get money from the government, not surprisingly, you're in favor of getting more of it. Of course. Since I'm the one paying it because I don't get a check, <laughs> I'm not in favor yeah. of sending you more money. <laughs> so you don't call me greedy, but hey, that's just the way it kind of works. So not surprisingly, well, when you but, look at who gets the when you look at who gets checks, it's about seventy percent of the economy gets checks, about thirty percent doesn't, and surprisingly, that's exactly the split of the poll. Well, you're getting up at three thirty four in the morning to work, you know, your twelve <laughs> to fifteen hour days, and you're giving money to people that are still asleep and sitting on the couch. Yeah, and likely will be there when you get home. Yeah, he's talking to you, Tommy. Hey, whoa, so my whoa, son, Tommy. My, hey, man. My, my, sorry, my son, but my son is sleeping in right now. <laughs> but no, he's he's but no, he's working right. Yeah. And he's and it's funny because now even he's complaining about the fact that they're taking taxes out of his check. <laughs> so. Well, of course, I mean, you get that first paycheck, everybody's like, "Whoa, what happened?" Here? I thought <laughs> I was getting paid how much? Exactly. But, but no, and look, this isn't a, like, if the, the government's going to give money away, you're certainly going to take it. I mean, right. there's not many people that, that are going to say no. Now, I do know a lot of people out there saying, "You know what? I'm going to give it to charity." They're doing different things with it that don't necessarily need it. Right. But you know, this isn't a. Uh, Nobody's going after people who are receiving checks by any by any stretch of the imagination. However, this is something that I mean, it's bill after bill after bill. Right. And you know, yeah, we're we, talking about we just passed you know one point nine. Now we're going to pass one point eight. The next the the infrastructure bill is two point two. Yeah. So we're racking up over six trillion in, in debt. In well, we've already done five trillion. Yeah. Uh, we've well, already, we have already five trillion into it. So you're going to add another four trillion to it, and tax revenue is going to be about three and a half trillion this year. So. Don't worry, they're going to raise taxes in 15 years, it'll be a net-net. That's what they're saying. That's what CBO's saying. In 15 years, it'll be a net-net. Right. Well, the problem that is, and here's, here's the math, right? So, and just need to think about this for a second. So every year we spend about $4 trillion, and every year we go into a deficit just to fund our mandatory spending. So, yes, we're going to raise taxes to cover $2 trillion worth of spending that will occur over 10 years. It'll take 15 years to raise, 10, to raise $2 trillion in taxes to pay the money we spent over a 10-year period. But that doesn't include the $5 trillion we've already spent, and it doesn't include the fact that we go about a $1 trillion further into debt every year because of just our normal annualized run rate of spending. Yeah. So it's not a net net. It's increasing taxes, but you're not increasing tax revenue. And, and the problem with increasing taxes is you never collect as much in taxes as you think you're going to do by raising taxes because, well, people begin to start shifting alternatives. They lower incomes. They start making uh, taking advantage of tax laws to basically pay less in taxes, which is always the case. Which is smart. Right. Well, it's, it's I mean, funny. That's what keeps the state, state and tax lawyers in business. Yeah. Well, so Rich and I have been talking about how, uh, you know, sheltering funds from taxes for the last several years, you know, and we have been, I think, way ahead of the curve, not to pat anybody on the back here, but they just came out this week and said the Roth IRA is the best account now for people to use. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. We know we're going to raise taxes, and now we're saying let's use this account that you can maybe fund with just a little bit of money, Yeah, where we should have been doing this all along. 
And that's what's so frustrating is that now, you know, people get so reactive versus being proactive in these types of events. And I tell you, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to f- find that this is going to be a dynamic that, that nobody's really been prepared for with potential higher taxes well, because uh, and maybe they don't tax anybody with, you know, under 400,000 or a million. And maybe it's not a big deal. I, well, I think it's doubtful, though. It's, it's doubtful. And, and to the other side of this, is, as you and Richard have been talking for the last couple of years about doing strategic Roth IRA conversions and, you know, taking money out of your IRA, moving it to your, you know, pay taxes now at a lower rate. And, you know, now is going to be kind of a big rush to do it uh, to try to get ahead of the tax rates. And that potentially has an impact to financial markets as well. Because when you start moving things around and people start selling stuff to, to, to make changes, et cetera, you know, there's a potential impact of this. And, that, and that's the other side of all this as well. Um, in 1968, now there was a statement out the other day, and it said that every time that taxes have been increased in the markets, stock markets have gone up the year of the passage of the tax increase. That's a true statement. Past taxes and pass tax increase and they go up. But when do taxes take effect? They don't take effect that year. They take effect when? The next year, right? Just like tax cuts, right? You pass tax cut in, in 2018, you don't get the tax cut till 2019, right? It's just, there's, there's that one year lag always because of tax years. And in 1968, yes, we passed a 1.7% of GDP tax increase in 1968. Markets were up of that, that year because they had already declined going into the tax increase. And people were selling ahead of that announcement. And then when they made the announcement, the market was pretty oversold. You got a rally to a peak in January of 1969 when the taxes actually took effect. Stick around, and I'll tell you what the market did in 1969. Don't go away. I'm Real Saints Roberts with Danny Laver. Danny Ratliff. Man, CFP. Well, this problem is there's too many letters after your name in the middle, and yeah. I'm just gonna call you Bob. Bob. <laughs> Bob the Planner. <laughs> Be right back after the break. in any place, anytime, at realinvestmentadvice.com. Didn't get enough last Lunch and Learn? We're serving up a second helping at our next free virtual Lunch and Learn with Medicare on the menu. Thursday, May 6th at noon, we'll sink our teeth into the alphabet soup of Medicare, parts A, B, and D. Understanding sign-up periods, benefits, and how to avoid costly permanent late enrollment penalties. It's a second helping edition of our Lunch and Learn on Medicare, Thursday, May 6th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. No masks required. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. This morning, Danny Ratliff joining me as well. So just for the break, we're talking a little bit about tax hikes. And uh, 
One of the things that uh, a lot of the media is saying right now is like, yeah, well, every time in history when we, you know, hike taxes, the stock market goes up. Well, yeah, 1968 was a good example because the reason I'm using 1968 in this particular case is because we hike taxes by about 1.7% of GDP. Biden's tax hike will be the second largest increase in taxes as a percentage of GDP in history. Now, importantly, remember this is that GDP in 1968 was much smaller than it is today. So just to give you the magnitude of the increase in taxes, it's not a small thing. But yes, it is correct. In 1968, the markets were very oversold. We had just gone through about a 10, 15% decline in markets. And we announced, uh, or the administration at that time announced tax increases. And the markets did rally because, A, the markets were very, very oversold, and the tax increases at that point in time were, were not passed yet, right? It was just a passage of the tax that they hadn't been implemented yet. So, and that's the way tax increases always are. Everybody's like, well, you know, if you look at the year that the tax cut was, was or tax increase was done, then the markets went up. Well, yeah, take a look at the year after. 1969 the markets declined by 33% and then rallied and then declined in the 1974 bear market by almost 50%. So, you know, taxes matter and they matter a lot on productivity, capital expenditures, you know, all these type of things. Companies make decisions about this and it has an economic impact that ultimately has uh, an impact on, on markets. So don't dismiss you know, taxes and the impact on capital structures when it when when it occurs, because, again, we have a market that's very extended, very overvalued, very deviated from long term means. And you're just uh, what all the markets need to have a fairly large correction is something that upsets the balance of capital structures. Right. And, and taxes could very well be that issue. Um, the other side is inflation. Right. And uh, Mondelez just uh, announced their earnings and talking about they're increasing the prices of snack foods because of, inf- of input costs, right? We've been talking about this. Look, lumber prices are up like 250% this year. Food costs are going up. Agricultural prices are going up. Everything's going up because of supply bottlenecks, etc. cetera. Um, my wife's been trying to build a pool now for a year and because we, she can't get product for the pool, right? I mean, like tile gunite. is back. Nowhere. Gunite can't get it, yeah. you know. All this stuff, right? So it's a very slow process, but you know, costs are going up. Thank God she locked the cost in early <laughs> before all this happens. So you know that's that's been that's been a huge benefit, but can't get it right. Um, and so this is so, so this is a problem, and those costs have to go somewhere. So either the company can eat those costs and reduce their profit margin, or they have to get passed on. And come look, companies have been passing on higher costs for years. And they do it in very sneaky ways. If, if, for instance, if you open a bag of Oreo cookies, speaking of Mondelez, you know, there's an extra, there's like a, an empty row now, right? Like there's cookies missing in the bag. It's not, the bag is not completely full. And then they come out with really great ideas. Hershey's did this, right? They came out with these new Hershey's, you know, like little kisses that have 
air bubbles in them. They're empty in the middle. Yeah. Well, it's like the bag of chips yeah, that they, has like but, a quarter. But, it's a quarter right. full, but they pump it full of air. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but, they, you know, they put air bubbles. They mix air into the chocolate. So it, they're like, this is these are kisses light, right? Or whatever they call them. No, you're just getting less chocolate for your money. It's an Oreo Thins. <laughs> this so is a good thing least. for you guys. Don't worry yeah, about no, it. Yeah, no, Oreo Thins, right? Who the What communist person came up with Oreo Thins that <laughs> put less cream in the middle of the two cookies, right? No, that's that's you know, and they charge you more for them because apparently you're able to eat more if you're on a diet. Um, so instead of eating one Oreo, you eat three thins. Um, but you're paying more to get less, and that's the whole point of inflation's been passed through. As Danny was talking about with you know with you know uh, potato chip bags and cracker bags, and you know pretty much anything you buy, you're getting less quantity in the bag. Because inflation has been passed through to you. So it's either passed through through either you're getting less for your money. You're paying the same amount but getting less for it. Or prices go up. And we're seeing that occur on both fronts. So now the point is, and this is what I was talking about early on the show and, and as we were talking about in the last segment, it's great that you're going to give people more money. Right? Costs are going to come up and absorb whatever increase you just gave to people. The problem with giving people money and increasing the cost of goods and services is that it doesn't increase wages. And in order to have sustainable growth in the economy that's not impacted by inflation, you've got to have rising wages. And wages are rising only in the very low-end income scale, restaurant workers and those type of things, where companies are having to pay more to get restaurant workers to come back who are getting paid more to sit at home. Now, in September, this won't be a problem. When the extended unemployment benefits run out, all of a sudden, people are going to go back to work. If they actually run out. Well, if they actually run out. But- the extended employment benefits will probably terminate in September. We'll see. But you're right. It, it, but once those end and people don't have that option and that extra money goes away, then they're going to have to go back to work. So now the point is, is that wages will actually decline because now there will be an oversupply of workers because restaurants have already paid up for, for people. And you're not going to go fire people. You've already hired. Right. And you're already overpaying them. So now when people come off the sidelines to come back to work, it's like, hey, sorry, don't need you. There's nobody on the sidelines, Lance. Exactly. Come but on. that's the point. So, so again, all, the, all these monetary interventions create an artificial supply and demand in the markets that goes away once the supply ends and once, the, once that additional income. And per, but the problem is that inflationary prices absorbs that benefit. So very quickly the entire cost of living will rise. And if the benefits aren't extended, and we'll talk about the, the possibility of that here in a second, if they aren't extended and aren't, and, and aren't increased, then what happens then? Then you have a deflationary impact in the overall economy. Well, not only so, that, but so you mentioned 1969. In 1969, they only had capital gains rate uh, taxes increased. That was it. So now we're talking about personal income. We're talking about corporate taxes. We're talking about capital gains. And you're going to make a substantial change to the estate tax, which, you know, you talked about there could be a sell-off because of people making changes. Right. Now, I did hear yesterday that, and again, just rumor mill, and I don't have confirmation of this, but I did hear yesterday there was, uh, I got a call from a buddy of mine um, that was doing an interview and that the estate tax change has gotten stripped out of the proposal. Really? I don't now, I don't don't quote don't run around and quote me on that with anybody because it was just a reporter I was talking to yesterday. It said that it got pulled out at the last minute. So 
Well, that'll be great. I mean, that's <clears throat> going to be interesting to see how this one actually plays out because there, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people trying to make changes very quickly. Yeah. And I would suspect this is going to be one they're going to leave in because if they're going on the whole mantra that we're taxing the rich, this is the easiest way for them to do it. Right. And that, that was my point to the reporter yesterday um, during the interview, which was, you know, it would seem to me that that would be the one, the state, you know, the estate tax is the easiest to get around, right? It's like, because so few people are affected by it. So if you, you know, it's like, if I'm having to give something to try to get a bill passed, okay, great. We won't raise taxes on the estate, right? But we're going to raise taxes on people making over $400,000. Okay, so the Republicans get something, right? They, they got it. could they, be. You know, it could be that kind of negotiation going on. So I don't think there's a whole lot of negotiation. I just think they're doing what they want. I mean, in all honesty, well, you look at the, the, what well, the agenda's been. Well, that's, that's true up to this point. Yeah. But remember, everything up to this point was done through reconciliation, which has to be part of the actual budget amendment. The problem now is, is that we're into the operating year. And now they're, they're trying, the parliamentarian is trying to figure out a way to get these bills to run back through. But that is really outside the norms of operations of the business, uh, of government. And so probably what's going to happen is this is going to wind up under the filibuster rule where they're going to have to get 60 votes to pass, which is really, and if that's the case, this will become very problematic to pass these bills in these sizes. Yeah. Because you're going to have to get, now, Republicans will go along with an infrastructure bill, but they'll go along with a bill that's really infrastructure. You know, probably somewhere between, say, 500 billion, maybe 800 billion, very targeted to railways, roads, bridges, waterways, that type of thing. Um, but a lot of this other expansion and tax credits and all that, that's not going to, if it's got to go through the regular budget process, I'm sorry, the, the regular voting process and not through reconciliation, it's going to be really challenging to get some of these things passed. And I don't know if you saw this yesterday, we talked about it on the show, um, the census, which the Democrats were pushing under the Trump administration to include all the illegal immigrants into the census kind of backfired on Democrats because all the states that voted for Trump picked up seats in the House. Um, so come the 2021, so come midterms next year, we could very, very, very well see, because of this change of the redistricting, we could very well see a pickup of seats in the in, in the in Congress and Senate with those margins so close, they could very easily lose uh, the majority next year. So they've got a very limited time frame to try to get this done. Yeah, but where where will those seats be located? I mean, like, so Texas picked up two, correct? Texas picked up two. I, I've got the, I had the list up yesterday. I'll have to go back and dig it. Um, I'll, I'll get it here in a second on the break. But uh, Texas picked up two, but you also saw, you know, like uh, Wyoming and uh, Colorado picked up one. You know, but primarily it was a very large chunk of Republican states that vote Republican, um, which may make it challenging in the midterms next year. That may, but I think it's, we're seeing people move from states that are less friendly. Uh, we're seeing more and more places turn purple. I mean, look at most of the metro areas well, the, here the, in Texas. We talk, yeah, we talked about that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Texas may be purple in the next election. That's so. right. <laughs> um, but midterms are going to be the challenge. All right, quick break. We'll come back. I'll get you those states here real quick. We'll just recap that from yesterday, and uh, we'll get ready to wrap up the show. Don't go away. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff. Be right back.
listening to The Real Investment Show. Didn't get enough last Lunch and Learn? We're serving up a second helping at our next free virtual Lunch and Learn with Medicare on the menu. Thursday, May 6th at noon, we'll sink our teeth into the alphabet soup of Medicare, parts A, B, and D. Understanding sign-up periods, benefits, and how to avoid costly permanent late enrollment penalties. It's a second helping edition of our Lunch and Learn on Medicare, Thursday, May 6th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. No masks required. The Real Investment Show. All right, welcome back to the show, of course. Uh, real quick here, just as we were talking about in the break, is that you know the passage of this bill, of, of any more of these spending bills, whether it's infrastructure or the expanded American Families Plan, et cetera, which extends a lot of the spending to households, um, you know, may run into some trouble if it can't be run under reconciliation. So the only way the Democrats right now can just pass it on a, on a partisan basis is they have to run everything through reconciliation. In other words, it has to be part of the budget. And it has to be part of the budget process. And we're outside of that parameter right now. Now, the parliamentarian has suggested that we can go back and amend the budget to add these other bills to it. And if they can figure out a way to get that done, um, that's, you know, that's a possibility. They can pass these with a partisan basis. That's very unusual. It's never been done before. But uh, again, some of these things, you know, they have to be classified as part of the budget. And so some of these things they may want to spend money on or be hard to classify as part of the budget. And it's going to get pushback from Republicans, et cetera. Um, As we're talking about for the break, though, the census change is also going to change the midterm elections coming up. And um, because of the changes to the uh, because of of the census, there's now a reapportionment of of seats to the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, Texas gains two seats. Florida is one seat. North Carolina is one seat. Colorado picks up a seat. Oregon picks up a seat. Montana. So five out of six of those states voted Republican. Last year, now to Danny's point, Texas is turning more purple every day because of the uh, illegal immigration from California. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But... (laughs) Um, but again, when you take a look at this, that could very well have an impact on the midterm elections next year. And with a very thin margin already in the House and basically an even split in the Senate, it's not going to take take much to lose control of one or the other. So uh, so this could have an impact. So the, the, the point about this is the Democrats' best chance of getting these type of bills done in this more uh, kind of this social policy past is they've got to do it between now and next November. And there's a, there's a lot of moderate Democrats in the country that aren't really on board with a lot of this stuff either. And it's likely they will vote for somebody different in the next election as well. So, you know, there's there's a real high potential that some of these more social justice issues will have a negative impact on the Democrats in the next election. So that's that's going to be the real push here is to try to focus a lot of the spending in a manner that they get it passed very quickly. And that's why there's been talks about, you know, getting rid of the filibuster rule. There's going to be pushback on that as well because the Democrats know they're not going to maintain power in the Senate in the, uh, forever. And if they give up the filibuster rule now, it could very well backfire, the, backfire them, backfire on them the next time they're in the minority, which could be sooner than later. So, yeah. We'll and see. so w- with all those things being said, I mean, it's, it's going to be, you know, 
how this whole thing goes down in the near future is mm-hmm. going to be really interesting as far as what they actually vote for. Right. I mean, think about this, Biden, if this were Trump, too, you've got the wind at your back. You're, you've have, you have, regardless of what anybody thinks, mm-hmm. vaccine distribution and the logistics were, get, were going to improve and get better over time. Right. So it wouldn't matter if Trump was in office or if Biden's here. You have the wind at your back because people are feeling more comfortable. Sure. Obviously, you know, hopefully numbers will continue to decline. Uh, these are all positive things that really this is the main thing that people are thinking about. And so all these additional items, and especially if you keep giving money away, like we mentioned in one of the first segments, is that, hey, if you're getting a paycheck, everybody loves it. Keep sending it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so it allows to push forward some of these other items. And then, I mean, mm-hmm. how often have we heard from Biden? Right. It's been few and far between right well you're here from him tonight yeah it should be a stutter fest so well <laughs> or mumble fest i should say not a stutter fest um but yeah i mean look this, uh, is... this was recorded days ago Lance, <laughs> come on <laughs> but yeah i mean this is you know uh, this is gonna be thing and by the way um we were talking about you know market reactions to tax hikes so in 1993 we also had big tax hikes as well um 1994 the market was down 11 percent so Again, it's always, you know, the year following tax hikes that tend to impact markets. And look, tax cuts don't necessarily work either, right? We passed tax cuts in 20, December of 2017, and in 2018, the market was down 20%, right, in, in November, December. So it doesn't necessarily mean just because you do a tax change one direction or the other that it has a positive effect on markets. Now, again, the, the problem that most of the media analysts come out with is they look at the year the tax was actually passed, right? So you passed the tax cut in or tax increase in 93. Well, the market was already in an upward trajectory. And yeah, you had gains that year. That doesn't mean, you know, you've always got to look to the next year when the when the tax plan takes actual effect, right? When it, When does it actually impact the economy? So those things you want to pay attention to. But that, that also had a negative impact on bonds. Because we right. saw interest rates spike to, uh, 200 basis points on a 30-year. Um, what are the implications? You know, we talk about, you know, I know every day you're getting an email from somebody saying, hyperinflation, here we go. Um, and, and this could be for a period of time, like mm-hmm. you and I have talked kind of offline in the sense of, uh, you know, transitory inflation is what the Fed's using as kind of a, they're able to hide behind it. But you mentioned tra- inflation is always transitory because it's always changing, right? Yeah, right. It, it always changes. And, and what happens is, and, and again, we go back and let's talk about what happened in 1993 you know, as an example, right? You had this big 200 basis point jump in, in rates. The next year, everything slowed down. The market was down 11%. Taxes impacted uh, changes to the market. Demand and, and economic growth slid. And interest rates went from um, basically 8.2%. Per- no, Think about this. Interest rates on the 10-year Treasury went from 8.2% to 5.6%. Wow. <laughs> so you're still getting 5.6% on your money market even at the end of 94. So, <laughs> you know, the, that's, that's really kind of, you know, the gist here is that rates are likely to pop up here until it impacts the economy. So inflation goes up. That absorbs any type of additional benefits you give a household. Interest rates go up. Now you now all your borrowing costs just went up, which impacts your discretionary spending on the household, which translates almost immediately to an economic slowdown. And forces that's, the Fed's hand. Forces the Fed's hand. And then the bull the bull bond market continues. Well, exactly. And that's why we'll see rates probably get around somewhere around 1.92%. The economy is going to hit the brakes. Uh, rates will come back down to probably sub 1% again in the next two to three years, along with economic growth returning to a subpar growth rate of less than 2%. That's just the trajectory we're on. 
Well, don't tell people that because mortgage rates are back to two month lows, and yet uh, I guess new applications have slowed down. Well, got to qualify for it. And there's only so many people. The you know the people that have been qualifying for a mortgage are those with like perfect credit and twenty percent down payments. How many people that are like yeah. that are out there? Well, and again, that's why you're going to, and that's that's why, by the way, there's the, there is no such thing as a housing inventory shortage. You hear this all the time. The reason that home prices are up so we have a shortage of inventory. No, prices haven't risen equally all around the country, and so if prices haven't gone up, there's no incentive for me to go sell my house, especially on an existing home sell. So as soon as prices reach the point of where the demand stops, all of a sudden you're going to have a massive jump in supply because everybody's going to rush to market to sell their house all at once, right? As soon as people realize that prices have stopped going up, then they're going to – because right now the issue is like, you know what? Price of my house has gone up a lot, but if it goes up, I'm not going to sell now because prices are still going up. But if I wait long enough, maybe I'll sell it, you know, if it's 10% higher or 20% higher, right? There's, there's a point to where you'll pull, you'll pull buyer, you'll pull sellers out. But when the price begins to fall, everybody will then realize that, hey, this is my best time to sell. And you'll have a rush of supply to market. So what happened in 2005, 2006, we had record low inventories at that point. And by 2007, we had more inventory you could shake a stick at. Well, but then you don't have anybody who can qualify or get it. <laughs> well, that's the other and side. Rates are, and rates are higher at that point, too. So, you know, to begin the show, you talked about something with, you know, like, okay, Microsoft. We just had earnings with Microsoft, Google. Um, they, they both performed differently after earnings, but they both beat. Right. So I'm getting a lot of calls. Obviously, we're right in the, the middle of earnings season. And everybody says, oh, I want to get into this stock. Or I want to do this right now. And it used to be a little differently where, you know, you could buy something ahead of time and, and know that, okay, if we have good earnings, we're always going to see that nice pop. Right. It seems to be that's not the case well, right now with things as it, high as it, they are. It, that's, that's the problem is that a lot of these stocks have been more than priced in for their revenue growth. So when they're, we're, they're announcing good revenue growth, but it's the forward guidance, it's the expectation of higher prices. It's, and a lot of this stuff has just been priced into these companies. So, you know, and even with that, you know, Google blew, as an example, blew the doors off earnings yesterday, and it's going to be up like 4% today, right? Which is, you know, with the, with the blowout earnings, that stock should be up like 20% today, you know, if, if we look at past history, right? So again, you know, a lot of companies that are beating earnings, they're not being rewarded for it, so to speak, because it's already been priced into the stock. Um, and this is because of this run up over the last year, markets are up, you know, 80% from lows, whatever it is. And, you know, you know, valuations are exceedingly high. So at some point, you know, the, the, the bar to beat, is now so high that companies can't do it. And that's that's one of the, that's just kind of where we are within the markets. But again, it also kind of goes along. We talked about our sell signal. We said, hey, markets aren't are really kind of struggle here while our sell signal is on. And that really just goes to show you kind of where we are. I mean, the, the, the money flows have been very strong coming into markets. People are buying stocks. People are putting money to work. We've got the, the, the most inflows over the last five, six months that we've had in the last, more so in the last five or six months than we have in the last 12 years combined. So people are rushing to throw money at markets, which have, which have bid up prices. And now the question is, is how much more money on the sidelines is there, right? How much have we already drug off of that from investors that had some money in, in their savings account or had their stimmy check, whatever? All that money is actually already in the market. So there's not a lot, not a lot at this point to keep driving prices higher. And that's going to be one of the kind of the challenges. The, the risk is, and that's what I'm saying, you know, probably this summer, 
the real risk is to the downside. Um, I would not be surprised at all to see a 7 to 10% correction sometime midsummer as economic growth peaks, as earnings growth peaks, as expectations begin to start ratcheting down because of higher inflation, higher interest rates, potentially higher taxes. Um, that all potentially sets up for a more negative environment for stocks sometime this summer. So again, that's why you know I think that we're seeing a little bit of, of struggle here. But you could also use that as an opportunity if, if you have cash on the sideline, oh, yeah. because look, seven to ten percent correction is normal throughout each and every year. Every year, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's that's not bad. Yeah, that's not a bearish thing. That's an opportunity. It doesn't mean run right. for the run for yeah, the exactly. Hills. Yeah. yeah, no, it means I have a better opportunity to put money to work sometime this summer. All right, wraps up the show today. Danny, thanks so much. Sir, thank um, you. We'll be back tomorrow, of course. We'll talk with Michael Leibowitz tomorrow to pick up on the Fed announcement today, what they said, what they didn't say, and really what the outlook for that is. Get our website. New articles posted today on the website as well. One for Michael Leibowitz as well. On the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.